place. Thank you, Ms. Lois. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 24. I looked in the lights a second ago, and I'm a little bit blind. You all look better, though. I will say now that you look. Brother Royce, look this way. Oh, yeah, you look a lot better. I should do that all the time. Uh, if you don't have one of the lessons, our last uh, lesson for uh, this uh, series, uh, put your hand up. The fellows can get one to you. Lesson 13, uh, the journey to the tomb. And we started last Sunday morning this lesson in our series on journeys of faith. Uh, we've got a few. we got a sinner here raising her hand in the front row. You be praying. She gets saved. And uh, make sure everybody gets a uh, one of our lessons this morning. And Luke 24, if you haven't opened already, open there. Anyone else still need one of our lessons? All right, right in the back there, Brother Juris, Miss Chris. And as folks come in, Brother Juris, uh, if you would see if they need one as they're walking in late there. Uh, let's go ahead and follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 8 of Luke 24. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, there came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm sure thankful, Lord, that you allow us to come together yet again on this Lord's Day, Sunday morning. Lord, as a family, as a local church, Lord, to fellowship, Lord, to sing your praises, Lord, to love one another, to encourage, to laugh, to share. And Lord, this morning as we grow in our faith, as we look in your word, I pray that you would lead us, guide us, direct us. And Lord, as we examine this journey to the tomb, Lord, these followers of Christ is no doubt in great distress, great discouragement, and despair. Lord, as they pushed on in faith, Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, although we know you're always in control, although we know you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, so often we get our eyes on the temporal rather than the eternal. Lord, we doubt rather than have faith. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have a walk of faith Lord, I specifically ask today that you'd help us to grow. Help us to grow in our faith today, every one of us. Lord, I pray you'd meet the needs of every person here. Lord, I pray you'd bless us now. Help me to teach you right your truth this morning. Lord, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We looked last week as we began talking about this journey of these that came to the tomb. 
and we saw these followers of Christ were on their way to the tomb. It says in John 19, they delivered he him therefore to them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, can I ask you this morning to imagine, to place yourself where Peter was, where John was, where James was? Place yourself where Mary, the mother of Jesus, was, Mary Magdalene, those that followed Christ. Now they are watching play out the crucifixion. I'm going to talk about this a bit this morning in the preaching hour, but it was not a sanitized, clean event. It was a bloody, cruel cross. And there they're looking, they see their Lord, and I have to imagine that they thought. There had to be the thinking in the back of their mind, I bet he's going to come down. I bet he's going to arise victorious off of that cross. And they had the right thinking, but the wrong direction. Because all of them heard those words. It is finished. They saw him as he yielded up the spirit. They watched as that Roman soldier took and pierced into his side a spear. And out came blood and water. That pericardium around the heart that was swollen and filled with fluid ruptured along with the heart. And their heart sank. They watched as his body lifeless body was carried to be buried in a borrowed tomb. They did not know yet it was borrowed. They did not know yet it was just for a little while. They were discouraged. Imagine how you would feel. Imagine what would go through your heart. Imagine of everything that you held on to was gone. Imagine if all that you had wrapped your life around seemingly vanished. That's where these people were. These ladies we read about in Luke chapter 24, they had lost the Lord, they thought. They'd lost their Savior. Mary had lost the one who had freed her and given her freedom from the demon possession the one that had changed her life, all of them had that same thing in common. And we saw last week, the number one there in your notes, the journey to the tomb was a sorrowful journey. A sorrowful journey. They were devastated. As I mentioned, they had stood at the foot of the cross. Some of them had stood afar off. Some maybe had watched way back behind the crowd so as not to be seen. Some, no doubt, were fearful that if they got too close, that they too would be put on a cross. Peter had denied the Lord during the trial. No doubt, 
Many of them, if not all of them, were there at least in a distance. We know that John was there because Jesus, during his crucifixion, said, Behold thy mother, woman, behold thy son. We know that. They saw what happened. I remember years ago, not that many years ago, I was hunting with Rebecca. She's up in the kids' class now, I think, teaching. Rebecca and I were bear hunting, and we saw some bears way, way off. And We made a stalk, and we walked through the bush, and we got to a place where I said, okay, you can take a shot from here. We got down. She got her shooting rest. She shot, and when she shot, that bear dropped. Perfect shot. The other bears that were with it didn't know what happened. And one bear in particular, he goes over to the one she shot and is like trying to, hey, man, get up. Come on, man, let's get out of here. And he's like pulling that, that bear. And finally, he's like, you can almost imagine the thought process in his head. Like, what is, what is going on? Why is Joe laying here? Uh, man, get up, Joe, let's go. And then they took off. Jesus has died. All hope is gone for them. It was a sorrowful journey. It was, letter A in your notes, they were sorrowing the Savior's death. The Bible says in Mark 16, and she went and told them that had been with him, and they mourned, and they wept. Most likely, Every person in this room has gone through the mourning process for someone. Some loved one. Some dear friend. You've grieved the loss. Now I understand as believers, when, when another believer dies, it's not permanent loss. But when it comes to down here, it is a loss, a grieving. They were grieving the Lord Jesus Christ. They were sorrowing his death. Luke 24, verse 1 says, Now upon the first day of the week, barely early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. When Jesus met Mary Magdalene in Luke chapter 8, she was plagued by demons. He set her free and gave her new life. We see that in Luke 8 too. And a certain woman which had been healed of evil spirits of infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom was seven devils. Mary was changed from what she was. Now we see that woman transformed radically by Jesus Christ. Mourning. Mourning the loss of her Savior, her friend. The one that cared for her enough to heal her, to save her, so we see that as they were traveling on the way to the tomb, understand that journey was a sorrowful journey. It wasn't a laughing time. It wasn't a joking time. It wasn't a lighthearted time. It was a dark, oppressive, sad, sorrowful journey. But not only was 
were they sorrowing the Savior's death, but as they got to the tomb, let her be, can I tell you, they were surprised. They were surprised by the empty tomb. Imagine you're going on your way to visit the tomb where they laid your Savior, and you're heartbroken, you're down, you're discouraged, and you get there, and it's gone. I was talking to Isaac Buchert, Pastor Buchert, pastors in Red Deer. Uh, he and his family will be here at our conference in a couple weeks. But last summer they went on a camping trip. And they had invited Hannah to go with them. But Hannah was, I can't remember, she wasn't able to go. And on that camping trip they went for a drive somewhere near the mountains. And they were going to go to, I can't remember the place. And they... Pastor Buchert started traveling, so it was a real long, horrible gravel road that took forever and was super slow and really, really, really long trip. They're following Google Maps. They get to the end of the road where they're going. And he said, Brother Rice, I realized when we got there, there were two places labeled that on Google Maps. Where we got was Nothing. They drove for like an hour and a half or two hours on this little windy gravel, nothing road. And they get there and went, we're not even here. They, they were slightly surprised. I'm, I'm not going to tell you whether Brother Buchert lost his, uh, uh, lost his cool or not. He may have. I wasn't there. I probably would have. I would have been upset. But they got to the tomb and the tomb was empty. Luke 24 says in verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass when they were much perplexed thereabouts, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. As they were afraid, they bowed down their faces to the earth. The Gospel of John records another detail for us in John chapter 20. Verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark into the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. Now, Jesus, and we won't go into this for sake of time this morning, but Jesus had told them he was going to die. Jesus had told them what was going to happen. He told them he gave the, uh, that he was going to raise again. He had already told them, but they were forgetting. They did not have clarity of belief. They were coming not to see the empty tomb. That's not why they were traveling. It wasn't a faith of, man, we're going to go see Jesus is gone now. Let's go see it. They were going to, okay, Jesus is dead. I guess we need to prepare the body because he's staying in that tomb. But they were surprised. By the way, they did not immediately say, Woo he's, he's risen again. That wasn't their first reaction. What was Mary Magdalene's first reaction? They took his body. We got to find him. We got to find the body. We got we got to look for it. We, I got to go tell Peter. Pete, Peter, we got to, what are we going to do? But they were surprised by the empty tomb. 
They were shocked. We see here that although God had given them a promise, they missed it. He said, I'll come, I'll raise again. He gave the, he said, I'll give you the sign, the sign of the prophet Jonas. As Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the son of Bam be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. But it just kind of went right over. They missed it. When I was in grade 10, I think it was, grade 9 or grade 10, my history teacher, his name is Mr. Asbury, he passed away and went to heaven. I think it was last year or two years ago. He was a good man, good teacher. He was a hard teacher. He was very, very hard teacher. And one day he gave us a test and he realized in his hardness, he realized that it was hard even for him. Even according to his standards, it was a ridiculously difficult test. And really it was, he was testing this over material. Some of it he hadn't really even gone over yet. So he felt bad about it. So he added that morning before the test a full page on the back of bonus question. And the bonus question was a matching. It was a uh, match the date or the person to the thing. I can't remember if it was a date uh, or if it was a person in the event. I can't remember exactly how it was. But you had to, uh, you know, number one and connect the line from one to, you know, maybe N or R or whatever it was, the other list on the side. And before the test began, he said, flip it over to the bonus question. So I flipped it over. Mr. Asbury said, I have one hint for you regarding the bonus question today. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I heard the same words everybody else heard in that class. As soon as he said, okay, start your test, I flipped it over. I began taking the test. Now, I'm, I was a good test taker. How many of you are good test takers? I like tests. I got good grades on tests. Uh, I enjoyed tests. I was a weirdo. I'm taking this test, the challenge. Okay, I'm going to take this test. I got all the tests done. I felt very good about the test. I got to the back page. I flipped it over, and I looked at that. I saw the first thing, and then I looked, okay, what is this? And I saw the first item. I was like, that seems like that goes together. But he wouldn't do that because he's Mr. Asbury. So I read through the whole list, and eh, maybe it's this. Then I looked at the second one, and I looked right across from the second one, and I was like, man, that looks like the right thing. But that can't be right because it's Mr. Asbury. And I had looked like spaghetti going across the page, this going here. Now, I got, a, I got an A, A-plus on the test, I believe. But can I tell you that I, f I didn't get any bonus points? Because when he said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, he meant, they were already lined up. Now, a lot of kids in my class, they didn't do on the test part, but they got the bonus points because they paid attention to Mr. Asbury. They weren't concerned, okay, I got to start this test. Like if it ain't broke, oh, they're all connected. Jesus told them, hey, fellas, I'm rising again. But they missed it. They missed it. They were surprised by the empty tomb. Now, I want us this morning to focus on this, and I love this. I told you already that it was a sorrowful journey. Imagine, if you will, that morning early when they said the ladies want to another, I guess. 
I guess it's time. We got to go to the tomb. It was a sorrowful journey. But number two, it was a wonderful journey. That sorrowful journey turned into a wonderful journey. How many of you remember the story of the waters of Marah in the Old Testament? When Moses was leading God's children in the wilderness and they came to a body of water, they called the waters of Marah. And they went to take a drink of the water and it was bitter water. I remember grabbing a jar of grape juice out of the cellar when I was a boy, a young teenager working out in the farm. And I went to the cellar and grabbed a jar. It was so hot that day and went down to that cool cellar, got a big jar of, of canned grape juice that we canned, popped the lid, big wide mouth quart jar, and took a big giant gulp. I got about halfway down my throat, about half of it down my throat before I tasted it. Brother Mike, it was vinegar. The seal had broken. It was, oh, it was awful. It was vile. Uh, and I, the rest of it, <laughs> what was left in my mouth, I spit out. I'm like, oh, I got to find, oh, it was horrible. The flavor was terrible. That was the experience of the waters of Mara. It was bitter water. I love the typology and the story, how God told Moses to take a tree. And cut down that tree and put the tree in the water. And that tree in the water took the waters of Mara and made the waters of Mara the bitter water sweet. Can I tell you the tree, the cross of Calvary, the empty tomb where our Lord laid, made that sorrowful journey to the tomb. It took it from being bitter to being sweet. It made it a wonderful, wonderful journey. In Luke 24, verse 8, this is a powerful little verse, just a little verse, but a powerful verse. It says, they remembered his words. Christian, can I encourage you this morning? Remember his words. Remember his words. Finally, Mary and those who were with her Remember the words of Jesus Christ. Your journey and my journey as a Christian is always sweeter. It's always more wonderful when we remember the words of Christ. And we see here they remembered. They remembered his words. They remembered what he said. When we gather together as we do this morning around the word of God in our Sunday school how sweet and how wonderful when we can remember and God brings to our memory, to our heart, and to our mind what he said. What he said. They had great joy. They find perspective. It began to come together. The pieces began to fit together. Christian, you and I, even during the times of Mara, the times of bitterness, the times of hurt, the times of pain, even during, as Psalm stalks about, the valley of the shadow of death, we can have joy 
and a wonderful journey going forward, even through the dark valley, because we can remember his word. It was a wonderful journey. Now, why was it so wonderful? Why was it so wonderful? Point number A in your notes. It was wonderful because their fears, their fears were relieved. What relieved their fears? Was it the empty tomb? No. Wasn't the angels either. They remembered his words. The word of God. The word of God is the answer for relieving your fears. When you're fearful, Christian, it's the word of God. It's the word of God that is key to relieving those fears. They remembered his word. Psalm 119 verse 24 says, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. By the way, I'm not, I'm not belittling human counseling I, at one bit. I understand that's a needful thing in different situations, but the most wonderful counselor, not the only counselor, but the most wonderful counselor is the Word of God. How wonderful God's Word. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. One of the reasons we hide the Word of God in our heart is not to sin against Him, but also it is that encouragement. It is that help. It is that reminder of God's goodness. I've got to share a illustration, funny story with you. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane? How many of you have never flown? Anybody never been on an airplane? You guys have never flown on an airplane? This afternoon we'll find an airplane and we'll throw you on it. I heard a story about a guy who was flying an airplane and he was nervous. He was a little worried about flying, a little scared. I have no fear of flying at all, like zero, absolute zero. You know what I have a fear of? I have a fear of airplane seats. When you look like this, you do not fit well in airplane seats. Airplane seats were built for 12-year-old Asian girls. That's who they build them for. They do not build them for guys my size. And Brother Eric, when I get on an airplane, almost always I have two sumo wrestlers on either side of me. It's always the way it works out. I, I, I don't fit well in an airplane, but I have zero fear of, air, of flying, not at all. But this guy was afraid of flying. And this airplane... It was a big airplane, you know, the one with a couple different rows. And they had in the airplane, they had this automated machine, kind of like a vending machine. And it was a vending machine that kind of a vending machine type device that sold life insurance. Now, the life insurance was only good if you died on the airplane. And he looked at the device and he began to read about it and pulled up the menus and he realized that there was an insurance policy available for him. It offered $100,000 life insurance for a $4 investment. 
If he paid $4, he could take out a $100,000 life insurance policy if he died on that airplane. He was already a little nervous, and he thought to himself, four bucks, that's pretty cheap. I spend that much at Tim Hortons every morning. I don't, because I don't go to Tim Hortons, but you do. And I think I'll, yeah, for four bucks, I mean, why not, why not do it? I'll buy the policy. It's only $4. So he bought the policy. He went and got a seat. He was seated up in first class. and In first class, they had an option of what they wanted to eat. How many of you remember back in the good old days when you flew, everybody got food on the airplane? Remember that? It wasn't good food, but everybody got food. Nowadays, unless you're in first class, and they don't even let me go in second or third class. They put me in the baggage area. But unless you're first class, you don't get food. You get a watch. There's a curtain there, and you see as people are ha- have the food. And you're in the back, and if, if you're lucky, you might get a bag of peanuts. Nowadays, with peanut allergies, probably not. You might get a cookie, and that's it. And you don't even get a whole can of soda. You know, you get a little cup about this big with 16 ice cubes and three tablespoons of soda. Here, there you go, sir. Uh, they, they give 10 people a drink out of one can. But this, he was in first class, and not only did he get food, but they gave him an option for food. And he looked, and they had some nice options, and they had an option for Chinese food. His favorite food was Chinese food. And so he, he checked the box, I'll have Chinese food. They brought him his meal. He was comfortable. He had his favorite food. His fears were relieved a little bit. He was settled down. He'd bought that $4 life insurance policy for a $100,000 benefit in case something should happen. He enjoyed his food. At the end of the meal, they brought him a fortune cookie. He opened his fortune cookie, and he read the words on the inside of the fortune cookie. And the words said, your recent investment will pay big dividends. <laughs> I think he had to be escorted off in a straitjacket after that flight. But imagine the fear. You know, we've all been there, not in a straitjacket, not on an airplane, with a, but we've all been to that place where fear grabs a hold of us. Fear stops us. Fear immobilizes our life, our thoughts. In an effort to relieve fears in our life, so often we multiply them. So often, instead of helping, when we try to fix fears, we make them worse, just like that man did in the story. We, we make things worse. Luke 24, verse 36 says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed they'd seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled and why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me. And see, for the Spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. Can I tell you their fears were relieved by the word of God, but their fears were also relieved by the presence of Jesus. By the presence of Jesus. 
If the resurrection teaches us anything, it is the fact that we can be relieved that we have the presence of Jesus Christ with us. He's not in the tomb. I've got a pastor friend in Colorado who is in Jerusalem right now. He led a lady to Christ early, early Sunday morning. He preached a service at 6.30 in the morning uh, on, in Jerusalem, in Sunday morning there, which ahead of our time. A few hours ago, he was baptizing her in the Jordan River. Pretty special. But can I tell you, all the places he gets to go there, there's one place, one thing he will not see. He will not see the body of Jesus Christ. Oh, they'll, they'll show him a place they call the garden tomb, a place that historically people say, oh, this is the place where Jesus lay. Whether it is or not, we don't know. And honestly, it doesn't matter. It's not a special place. It's just an empty hole in the earth because Jesus isn't there. He's risen. He's not in a place where we have to go and see. He's not in a, a tomb. Rather, he is present. He is with us. And it is the presence of Christ that relieve them. You can go places around the world. I've never been outside of North America. But if you go to Egypt, you can go and see the pyramids. And those pyramids, they're special because of the design, the building. They're special because mainly of what was inside of them and is inside of them. The kings, those leaders are buried there. They're monuments to those who are buried. You can go to Westminster Abbey. And once Mr. Abbey, it's special because of the heads of state and those whose bodies lay at rest there. In the United States, in Arlington National Cemetery, you can go and it is there that some of the, those who were honored by their country for their service in the U.S., their bodies are, are laid at rest at Arlington. Those places are special because of whose bodies lay there. Can I tell you the tomb of Jesus Christ is special because he doesn't lay there. He's risen. It was the presence of Christ, the presence of Christ as well as the word of God. Because, our tomb, because the tomb is empty, because whenever those ladies went that morning to the tomb early, they found the tomb empty, it's still empty. Because the tomb is empty, our heart can be full. Because the tomb is empty, we can have the presence of Christ with us at all times. And not only were their fears relieved, but let her be in her nose this morning, their sorrow was removed. Their sorrow was removed. How many have ever had a toothache? You ever had a toothache before? How many have ever had to have a tooth pulled? My first year in Canada... Back in 2005, maybe, it may have been 2006, I can't remember, I had a toothache. It was a tooth that I'd had a root canal on when I was 13 or 14 years old, and they never put a crown on it, and that tooth got an abscess in it, and it hurt. And I've got a pretty high pain tolerance, but I was right at the top of that pain tolerance. And I'm also very cheap. And I had no dental insurance. And I got to thinking, man, I don't have money to go to a dentist. 
but something has to happen because this is going to kill me. So I did something I do not recommend you doing. I was young and hard-headed, and I wouldn't do this again, but I did it then. I got up in the middle of the night about 2 or 3 in the morning. I was in pain. I went out to the garage and got a pair of pliers. Yeah, you know where, you know where this is going. <laughs> I went in the bathroom, not the bathroom, uh, not our en suite, because I was afraid my wife heard me. She'd tell me it was a bad idea. Uh, so I went to the bathroom the hallway there. Miss Lois, you remember the bathroom there where we used to live in the hallway? I got down on my knees, not because I was praying. I got down on my knees in front of the, bath, the mirror, on my knees, because I thought, you know what, this is going to hurt so bad, Brother Bonnie, I might pass out. And if you pass out while you're standing up in a bathroom, you might hit the toilet with your head or the... And, you know, I figured that might kill me. So if I'm on my knees, if I pass out, if you fall over from your knees, probably less likely I'm going to kill myself. So I got on my knees. I got the pair of pliers. I did clean them. I heated them up. I dipped them in alcohol. I sterilized them. Well, maybe not. Maybe I just wiped them with my pants. But I put them in my mouth, and I got that tooth, and I grabbed a hold of it. And, ah, and I yanked. And it came out. And it was like, oh, Brother Mike, the relief was awesome. And then I looked at the tooth in my pair of pliers and I realized I only pulled out half of the tooth. So my stupidity cost me more money. I had to go to the dentist, probably paid more money to get half a tooth out than I would the whole tooth. But that relief, just when I broke that open, that abscess, probably wasn't probably dangerous that I did it, but it was that relief when it was partially out was, oh, it was bloody, it was a mess, it looked like a crime scene, but the relief was there. Can I tell you that the sorrows that were in their heart, the sorrows that plagued their journey, when the Lord Jesus Christ, by his word and by his presence, reached in and removed that sorrow. Imagine the blessing that came. And they remembered, it says in verse 8, they remembered his words. And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and unto the rest. When Jesus arose, he planted the only durable rumor of hope amongst the widespread despair that was growing amongst humanity and the followers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes their dreams are shattered. Sometimes discouragement takes up residence. You know, sometimes it comes to visit. And we all sometimes may go through waves of discouragement. But sometimes it comes to stay. Sometimes it moves in. Can I tell you this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ can, even in the midst of sorrow, remove the burden of sorrow because of his word, because of his presence. Say, preacher, I, I wish I could see Jesus. I wish I could talk to Jesus. I wish I could have him with me. Can I tell you that you and I as believers have him with us always? Amen. Lo, I am with you always, Jesus said, even at the end of the world. I don't care where you go. 
Even if you go to some God-forsaken place called B.C., Mitra, God's still there. Maybe. He's right at the edge anyway. Wherever we go, we can never leave his presence. We can always have his word. I can go through walks that the world says that is great sorrow. There is no way to go through. But I can go through with sorrow removed. I can go through knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is able and how wonderful, how good. Christian, can I encourage you this morning, and we'll finish out this lesson in this series next Sunday, but can I encourage you in your journey of faith that whenever it comes to times of sorrow and discouragement, do not let those be your focus. Remember his word. Always go back to his word. Always go back to the remembrance that he is with us always, even in the end of the world. And what a wonderful blessing that is. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for that empty tomb. We thank you for your word that is powerful, sharp, alive. We thank you for your word that is transformative. Lord, I pray that we would hide it in our heart. I pray we would remember it. Lord, may we also realize and understand your presence, that you're with us, that we can talk with you, that we can walk with you, that we can have a daily, hourly, minutely relationship with you. Lord, may we always come back to your word and come back to your presence. Lord, I thank you for the blessings you gave these as they traveled to the tomb. Lord, I pray for those here this morning that are walking through valleys of suffering, discouragement. Those that are in a season, it seems, that does, has no end. Darkness. Lord, I pray that they would see your presence. They would be reminded of your word. Lord, I pray that they would have sorrow removed. That they might know your blessing. Lord, would you be with us in our service to come? Lord, would you bless every person here and those traveling yet to be here? Lord, may you be glorified. May your word be uplifted. May your truth go forth. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.